Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church podcast. It is our prayer that this class from our equip ministry will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to pick up in chapter 3. And we're going to be focusing on chapter 3, 1 through 11. How many of you have seen the game show, Let's Make a Deal? Probably several of you. Okay. So on this game show, one of the things they do is they often, they often will give a um, contestant some money. And they will say, okay, you can keep that money. Or you can trade it for door number one, door number two, door number three. And, and of course, they don't know what's behind these doors. And they can, they can try to guess or they may have to guess what something's worth and may get it wrong. And if they get it wrong uh, and they choose the wrong thing, they get something that's worthless. Yeah, I think they call it a zonk, you know, but it's... It's something that's just completely worthless. And, and uh, so they traded that money for something that's worthless and they don't get anything. So in this passage, Paul talks about kind of a trade that he makes. But it's not a trade that, of something that he doesn't know what he's trading for. But it talks about this trade that he has of something that he had already and what he's willing to trade it for. And uh, we see this decision that he's making to trade everything for Christ. Uh, He talks about how he counts uh, having Christ as being more excellent than everything else he had. You know, it's it's the the much better choice, the, the highest choice that he can make. And so he makes this choice and chooses Christ over everything that he had and uh, talks about his loss. But, you know, as he starts out this section in chapter 3, it starts out, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. You know, so he, he again focuses on this idea of rejoicing. And it seems a little disconnected when you first read that and then get into the rest of the passage. But then as you start focusing on it, you know, and seeing what he's trading and what he's gaining, and he's saying, you know, this is what the Christian life is like when we trade what we have for Christ. You know, it is a matter of rejoicing. It is something to rejoice about. And we're going to look at a little bit more of the detail as what of what that trade is. And he says, it is a matter of rejoicing. And he says, Christ is our confidence. He says, uh, down in verse 3, and have no confidence in the flesh. Okay, But the confidence that he says here is that we have confidence in Christ. Right? So he... He starts into all this. I'll also mention this uh, verse 1. He says, Rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. 
first read that, it may be a little confusing, but basically he's just saying, sometimes we need a reminder. And he doesn't mind writing this over again. He doesn't mind writing it multiple times to them or saying it multiple times to them. He said, you know, it's much safer for you to me to, for me to repeat myself and for you to be able to grasp these concepts than for you to not be reminded of it. And so it's, it's safer for, them to, for him to repeat it. And, and so then he starts into this section. Verse 2, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. So, you know, is he talking about actual dogs? No, no. In fact, it's kind of an interesting uh, reversal of terms because often Jews that, uh, or the Pharisees would often call the Gentiles dogs. But here he's actually turning this around and he's, this topic that he's getting into is talking about the Pharisees and the ones that are requiring things of the law. And he says, well, no, it's not the Gentiles that are the dogs. It's really these ones that are requiring you to, to follow the law. Those are the ones that are, are the dogs. And he really, he calls them evil workers and says, beware of the mutilation. And that's talking about that, uh, of circumcision, talking about the requirement of how they would say for a Gentile to become a believer, for them to follow after Christ, well, not follow after Christ, but for them to to um, continue to be a Jew, you know, they had to be circumcised, whether they're a Christian or not. And uh, so, you know, he's saying, no, the circumcision is not a requirement for the Gentiles to be saved. So be, beware of that. And so he starts into this section. And I'm going to miss something here. Oh, yes. Definition of confidence. To be persuaded or to trust. So as we talk about this confidence in Christ and not in the flesh... It's this idea that we are persuaded that, that Christ is the answer. We're, we're trusting in Christ as the answer rather than trusting in our own flesh or uh, being um, confident in what, what we do. All right? So he goes into this section, and we're going to be just looking at what is the result of resting our confidence or trust in Christ you know, what is the difference? What is part of that trade of, of what Paul gave up in order to go after Christ and what we give up? You know, it says we are the circumcision. And I want us to look at these verses. So if uh, I have a couple of people that could read these verses for us, Romans 2, 28 and 29. And then if someone else could look up Colossians two eleven. Okay. All right, and then Colossians 2.11. Okay, all right. So in both of these verses, he, he emphasizes the fact that the circumcision is not of the flesh. So it's really a circumcised circumcision of the spirit. It's, it's a, um, a circumcision of, as it said in Colossians there, let me, here, if you still have that, could you read that one more time? 
All right, so the circumcision is, you know, one of the spirit, not of the flesh. And, you know, as we look at this and we think, um, we look at these other points, we don't rely on physical rituals for salvation. It's not necessary, you know, to have any physical thing done to us in order to be saved. Now, also isn't a requirement for a righteousness. You know, we're not, we're not bound by these things we have to do in order to have salvation and have righteousness. You know, but do we see that in, for instance, other religions? Are there other religions that require some sort of physical thing that you do? Okay, all right, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So yeah, the the uh, they have to wait for the priest to come and and give them uh, their communion in order to to have cleansing. You know, yeah, lots of requirements for for the Catholics, the seven sacraments that they have to do. You know, and and we even see in some other countries, you know, they'll they'll say you have to. You know, either shave your head, or or you have to go without uh, food and fast for a certain number of days if you're going to be a believer, or if you're going to be righteous. You know, if you're going to be uh, uh, blameless or or sinless. You know, these are the different things that you have to do. Sometimes it's even a mark or something they have to do. Uh, to themselves in order to associate themselves with being saved or being righteous. You know, and as, as we look at this, and that's what the Jews were saying, that you had to be circumcised in order to be right with God. You know, and thankfully, you know, that's not where we are with Christ. That's not something that is a requirement for us to have something done to her body or do certain things in order to, to uh, have that salvation. You know, and while it seems kind of um, unusual for us to think about because that's just not something that we see happen uh, in our lives, you know, it is something that we can be thankful for. It is something that we can be grateful that, that God cleanses us and he accepts us and we have salvation without having to do all these things in order to, to earn it. All right. all right, so we have that. We also see letter B, we can worship God in spirit. You know, when we look at uh, the Jewish uh, law and the requirements that they had to do, what were some of the things that they had to do in order to, uh, to worship God? What's that? Sacrifice. Okay. Five different types of offerings. Yes. <laughs> Depending on what the situation is. Yeah, five different off- types of offerings. Yeah, feasts, holidays. Um, you know, if you're going to uh, worship God, was there a certain place you had to go? Only the temple. Okay. Only the temple. Yeah. 
Okay, you only had the temple, right? All right, so you know, as we look at this and we look at the difference, having Christ, we have the Spirit in us. You know, it says worshiping God in spirit, and we have the Holy Spirit in us. Does that mean that we can worship God anywhere? Yeah. Yeah, and that's definitely different than what uh, the requirements were. We don't have to go to a temple. We don't have to go to a synagogue. We don't have to rely on a priest and... Uh, as Nancy was mentioning, going to a priest and having the priest give you communion. You know, you don't have to have a priest uh, physically give that to you. You know, we, we have the ability to worship God in a way that they could not. They didn't have that. And so, you know, the salvation that we have through Christ gives us a lot more... Um, opportunity and and freedom to worship God wherever we are. How often do we? I think, uh, I can't pinpoint it, but I'm sure in Hebrews there's there's definitely, um, I, I, I'd have to look and try to find the reference for it, but, but I know Hebrews definitely covers that probably multiple times in there. Yes, good point. Yeah. Yeah. Just because you can worship God wherever doesn't mean that you can exclude the other command that we are to get together and worship together. And uh, yeah, absolutely, I agree. <laughs> yeah, very good. All right. Uh, let's then. Letter C, we do not rely on what we can humanly accomplish. And this sort of goes along with what we said in letter A. Oh, I did? Oh. Okay. I might need to borrow someone's notes because if I miss something. Oh, did I? Okay. Okay. All right. All right. So I think we, yeah, we're at letter C. We do not rely on what we can humanly accomplish. And we see this in, uh, well, let me get back to Philippians. So let me just read through a few of these verses. It says, verse 3, For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. You know, and, and that's where I'm this idea there we don't have confidence in the flesh the things that we do physically does not gain uh, us toward any point of salvation or any point of righteousness of our own all right so you know again we do not rely on our actions for salvation and we also do not rely on our actions for righteousness and then we see in this passage Paul talking about, you know, giving himself as an example here. And he gives us a list of things. And so starting in, uh, let's see, in verse 4, if, let's see, though I also might have confidence in the, in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I am more so. 
And he gives this list. Circumcised the eighth day, the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. And so he gives this list to this idea of his, even from birth, and you know, eight days after birth, he's circumcised. You know, but even from birth, he was, he was in a Hebrew family that had Hebrew tradition, Hebrew heritage, and uh, you know, that, was, that was important to him. All right? He was his nationality. He was a, a Hebrew uh, from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, why is it important that that is the tribe of Benjamin? Tribe of Saul. Okay, yeah, it was it was uh, the kingly line. It was an important line. Also, who was who was Benjamin's mother? It was Rachel. And who was it that that uh, who was the wife that Jacob loved the most? It was Rachel. Yeah. And so, you know, through the heritage of the tribe of Benjamin, it all goes all the way back to uh, Jacob and Rachel and, and the kingly line. There's just several things that, about the tribe of Benjamin that he can look at and say, yeah, no, I was of the tribe of Benjamin, and that's better than some of these other tribes. <laughs> so... He, he could have been very proud of that and probably was before his salvation. All right. He was a Pharisee, which was a hugely important thing uh, that they were considered often the most strict of, of the Jews. The ones that had the most laws, they were also ones that had a lot of influence and uh, control. And so he was part of that, that group of Pharisees. He mentions his zeal, you know, the zeal persecuting the church. No one could blame Paul or point at Paul as being apathetic, you know, as being oh, only half-hearted about his, his uh, beliefs and his religion. You know, so even before he was saved, you know, he was all in. He was full of zeal and no one could really... Uh, say he wasn't doing his part. And so he had a lot of zeal, and then it mentions that he was blameless concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Now, why does he say it that way, the, concerning the righteousness which is in the law? Okay, yeah, okay. And, and the Pharisees often made these laws. You know, it, it was a list of rules and regulations. It wasn't just the law that God had given in the Old Testament, but it was a law that was also added to and added to by uh, often the Pharisees, and they, were, they would make all these regulations. But you know, Kevin's right, it, it, it was more of an outward, um, see what I have done or what I can do, and not really a matter of the heart. And so, considering all these things that, that they've given as laws and that outward appearance, 
You know, he can say, considering all those or concerning all those, I was blameless. You know, and that that's you know, to for someone to be blameless and follow all those rules is one thing, but again, it, it was an outward appearance. All right, so it says this is all these things that he had, the heritage and the the beliefs and zeal and being blameless, all these things he had. And I said, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. All right, so I'm going to stop there. And as we look at this, you know, how many times does he mention loss? You know, he, he repeats that word a few times, counted loss, account all things loss, uh, the suffered the loss of all things, and then he, he says he counts them as rubbish. And that's kind of a nicer word uh, for what it really means. You know, it really is just, um, I think the old King James calls it dung. You know, it, it was the worthless of the worthless. It's what absolutely nobody wants. And he says, all these things I had, I just counted them all as rubbish in comparison to what he got through Christ. And so he says that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which, you know, as we said earlier, he was blameless according to his own righteousness or the pharisaical righteousness. But it says, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. You know, and so as we look at these two comparisons, we, we personally can say, hey, there's all these different things about us that we could try to puff up and claim and be proud of. But he's saying all of this, you know, was, is just worthless in comparison to to what we have through Christ. And if that's not a matter of rejoicing, something to rejoice about, you know, that we need to do some soul searching. But that that's who we have. That's what we have in Christ. Now, one other question would be, though, if that is what we have in Christ and He is our salvation, He is our righteousness, then... We need to ask this question. Does having this confidence mean we sit back and do nothing in the flesh? You know, if our righteousness is solely in, in Christ, you know, do we need to do anything to, to gain righteousness? The answer is no, but that doesn't mean we, we sit back and do nothing. You know, there's there's certainly things that that uh, we need to do, and he mentions here his desire, his interest, uh, 
And, and we're going to spend a few minutes looking at verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. So, you know, this, this idea that I may know him. All right. If we're going to, if we're going to know Christ, what are some of the things we have to do to really know Christ? Yes, we have Christ, we have his salvation, but do we know Christ? Uh, you know, we talk about human relationships. You know, we can know someone you know, very casually, but we don't really know that person until we do a few things. And one of them is, you know, is take takes spending time with him, you know, and in a relationship, if you're going to get to know someone, do you have to spend time with that person? It's kind of important. Yeah. If you don't spend time with them, are you going to know that person? No. (laughs) And And the same is true with Christ. You know, if we don't spend time with Christ, if we don't spend time in the Word, if we don't spend time um, wanting to develop our relationship with Christ, we're not going to know Him, and we're not going to grow in our in our relationship with Him. So we we need to spend time with Him. That means it takes time, or it takes studying, and it takes listening. Any of you who are um, in a marriage relationship, you know that you know, for you to know your spouse, it takes more than just uh, casual knowledge. Okay, you have to. If you're wanting to know, you need to study your spouse and and know what that spouse's likes or dislikes or the things about that person, and. You know, for us, getting to know Christ, we can't just be casual about that. We have to study. We have to dig into the Word and know, okay, what does Christ say? What, what, does he, what is He telling us in His Word? And uh, then that comes into the listening. You know, we have to listen and hear and, and uh, hear what Christ is saying to us, what the Spirit is speaking to us through His Word. And... Uh, it takes time, it takes studying and listening. And then it also takes commitment. You compare that to a marriage relationship, obviously you have to be committed to that relationship. And uh, you know, we, if we're going to know Christ, we have to have that commitment to, to know Christ. We have to have that commitment to study and, and to get, spend that time that we need. Um, it's so easy to get distracted with everything else in life, and uh, but but we got to have that commitment to spend that time with him. All right, he mentions the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection. Uh, it's a there's a lot that could be said about that, and so I'm just going to touch on a few pieces of this. But there's, there's really a whole lot more to this. But we're going to look, let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians 15, if you'll turn there. It's a chapter that deals with the resurrection a lot. 
There's some verses I want to point out there. Verse 17, so 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. So the power of the resurrection is important for, for what? It's for conquering sin. You know, how, how important is that power in our lives? Um, you know, obviously, we can't do it of our, of our own. You know, but that's the power of his resurrection is what conquers sin. Now, if we step a few verses before that, verse 14, we see the, it gives us a purpose. It says, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. You know, the power of the resurrection gives us purpose for life and for ministry, for service. If we didn't have the resurrection of Christ, everything else is just worthless. There's nothing to it. All right. He mentions verses 31 and 32. It says, uh, I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. You know, if, if Christ is not risen, if we don't, if we don't have that resurrection of Christ, you know, then there's really no point to life, and then we, we can just do whatever we want, because once it's over, there's nothing left. But he says, we have a confidence. There's a power in the resurrection that we have confidence that this, this life is not the end. And death of, in life, in our lives, physically, is not the end. And we have that eternal life that comes through that resurrection of Christ. All right, and then one more. That's in 1 Peter 1.3. I'll turn there. 1 Peter 1.3 said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so we have that, uh, that confidence again, that living hope that there is more to life than what is just right now. And uh, so... And again, there's a whole lot more to the resurrection of Christ than the power of that resurrection. But just looking at those things, you know, can we rejoice in the fact that we have these things through the resurrection of Christ? And so he, he says, you know, that's what I want to get to know about Christ. I want to understand that power of his resurrection. I want to understand it more fully. And, you know, Paul, is, as much as he knew, he still said, I want to understand, I want to know and understand this power of, the, of his resurrection. And so, obviously, we, we still have a lot to learn of it, and we can still be studying it and trying to figure it out and see what God has done for us. 
right? Letter C, the fellowship of his sufferings. You see those um, there, Christ suffered in his life, Christ suffered in his death, Christ suffered for our sakes. He wants to understand, he wants to know this and be in, in fellowship with this uh, with Christ's sufferings. And so as we looked at uh, Philippians 1.29, you know, as we looked at that passage earlier, it said, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. You know, to be granted the ability to suffer for Christ. And so he, his desire, his hope, his goal was to know Christ, to understand his, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, and then he goes on to being conformed to his death. Now, being conformed to his death, does that mean that he wants to die in the exact same way that Christ died? Okay, so conform does not mean that it's the same. It means it's there are certain aspects that he wants to be like or com- conformed in the same way as Christ's death, but it's not the same as Christ's death. Okay. A couple of things we can point out is that it's out of a desire for the salvation of others. You know, did Christ die for the purpose of, the, of our salvation, of course. And what was Paul's goal? He says, if I die you know, for the, the work of Christ, for the, the hope of getting the gospel out, you know, his goal was for the salvation of others, and he's willing to give up his life for that. All right? And then also for the glory of God. You know, obviously... You know, Christ willingly gave up his life for the glory of God, and Paul really had that as his goal as well. You know, and all of this, he wanted God to have the glory in, in this, whether he lived or whether he died. And so, you know, his, his goal was to really commit himself totally to that knowledge and understanding of Christ and to give himself up uh, for Christ no matter what that meant. And then there's a, uh, lastly, the interesting phrase in the end of verse 11. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Some will take that and try to say, oh, well, that means that that, uh, Paul doubted whether he would actually get there or not. But that's not what that, that's not what that means. Um, What he's basically saying is, um, you know, whatever the situation is, by whatever means, or another way of looking at it is, you know, if Christ comes back before he he dies, you know, because they were looking for the ever, um, you know, the, that's the word I'm trying to think of, the immediate return of Christ, the soon coming of Christ, even then, and so. The, I think there was also that uh, that possibility because he's thinking, well, if Christ comes back, 
you know, there isn't the resurrection of the dead because he'll be taken up before he dies. You know, so, um, but he's certainly not saying, yeah, well, there may be a possibility I might not be able to attain to it. You know, but what, what I want to leave you with is just, again, this idea of what he starts out with. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. There's so much that we have through Christ that is so much far better than what we have in the flesh here. And uh, we just need to really be focused on that and, and think about what Christ has done and the things that he is still doing for us. And then, of course, you know, as Paul said there, that doesn't mean we just sit around and do nothing. We don't just uh, rest on that and, and not do anything. But really our goal should be to know Christ, to spend that time getting to know him and understanding these, these things, the, resurrect, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. You know, are we willing to get to know Christ that well? And do we put our time to it that we should? All right, all right, so more great things out of Philippians, and we'll pick up in verse 12 next week. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and to God be the glory.